continuing the Footprints Faith theme in the first chapter of the book of John. But first, let me introduce you to Eunice. Eunice, just a very ordinary lady. She lived some 200 years ago, about 50 miles or so north of New York City, very rural in those days. She was a mother and a grandmother. Her daughter, Mercy, gave her a granddaughter in 1820. Francis, Eunice's granddaughter, however, became blind at six weeks of age, never again to regain her sight. On top of this, if you can imagine this, Eunice's son-in-law died a few months later unexpectedly. Now Eunice's daughter had to support the family and she had to work outside the home. So the care of Francis fell to Eunice. She cared for Francis. She educated Francis. She was taught at home until she was 15 years old. But more importantly, Eunice gave Francis a Christian environment to grow up in. She spent many hours teaching her the Bible in addition to all the other things she needed to teach. Francis was an incredible student. And because of the encouragement of Eunice by the time she was 15 years old, she had memorized the first five books in the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy, and the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the book of Proverbs, and the Song of Solomon, and most of the Psalms. Eunice, just an ordinary grandmother, all outward appearance. And faced with a difficult situation, she saw it as an opportunity to change a life forever. As Francis said many years later, it was grandma who brought the Bible to me and me to the Bible. Francis went off to school, a school for the blind at age 15, and excelled in her education and many other things. But she did not come to a personal saving faith until she was 31 years old. She had the foundation, 
But it wasn't till then, at age 31, she committed her life to Christ. A few years later, Francis began a hymn writing career. She became known as the queen of gospel songwriters. She wrote over 8,000 hymns in the next 65 years of life. She lived till she was 95, died in 1915. She wrote multiple books of poetry. And her prayer, the prayer that was always on her lips, was that her hymns and her witness would change the lives of a million people. They're still singing her hymns today. And a million people, that's been exceeded a long time ago. You probably know her as Fanny. Fanny Crosby, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine, that and many others. But Eunice never lived to see that. Eunice never lived to see her write hymns. Eunice never lived to see her change lives. She just took the opportunity of the hand, did what she could for the glory of God, probably never thinking she did a whole lot. I suggest to you that we fail to accomplish what God wants us to do any time we think of ourselves as unable to do anything significant. If you have come to think that you are unable to do anything significant, you need to quit listening to that lie that's rolling around in your head. God uses ordinary people, just the ordinary folks, and I mean I don't know how to distinguish anybody that's beyond ordinary, really, but I think we all agree when we look at ourselves, I'm just ordinary. What, what can I do for the glory of God? What can I do that's significant? What can I do that will make a difference? What can I do that will affect somebody's life? But it's exactly those of us who fall in that category that God wants to use to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. So the question we have to address here as we come to the scripture this morning was how does he do that? Are there some things we can identify in our lives that God is doing that we just don't even recognize? was preparing us and enabling us and propelling us to do the extraordinary? Well, there are three steps in a process that I think God employs based on what we're reading here in the Scripture today. 
that I want you to see with me. Step number one, knowing God gives us purpose. And it is purpose that leads to accomplishment, right? But we first have to have purpose. Knowing God, knowing the Lord gives us purpose. Looking at John chapter 1, verses 35 and following. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. Now, that's John the Baptist. We saw this last week. That's where we ended up. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Now, that was the second time John the Baptist had to say, Behold the Lamb of God, and point him out. I think they got the implication on the second occasion. They both stopped what they were doing, and they followed Jesus, literally followed him. Verse 38. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? Now, that seems like a weird question, right? But what they were saying is, we want to come for a visit. <laughs> we, we want to stop in and uh, talk with you. That's why they were asking the question. And he said to them, come and you will see. In other words, look, follow me. I'm heading there now. Come on. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day. And it was about the 10th hour. Now, that's, that's a little confusing, but John here is using the Roman time calculation. So that's 10 o'clock in the morning, and they stayed the day following from 10 o'clock on. That's what he's saying. Now, we don't know what they discussed. We don't know, do not know what John, uh, John and who was the other disciple, as I mentioned last week, obviously, and Andrew. We don't know what... They said, we don't know what their questions were. We, didn't, we don't know what interaction there was. But as a result, they were thoroughly con convinced that Jesus was the Lamb of God, the Messiah, the Christ. And from this time on, they became disciples of Jesus by choice by understanding and because of understanding who he was. But we're all familiar with that other scene where Matthew says that Peter and Andrew were casting their net and Jesus come along and said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 to 22, where you'll find that story. But that comes later. What we just read already had transpired. They already had become disciples of Jesus in the general sense, like you and I are a disciple of Jesus. But then Jesus came along and called them into a more formal relationship with him in doing his work. And we refer to them as the 12 disciples or the apostles. 
the foundation of the church. So later on, when he encounters them on the seashore, they left their nets and followed Jesus in a greater capacity. He became one of the 12. Now, you and I will never be called to be apostles. Unfortunately, there are some of this day and age that still think they are. But you and I will never become apostles, disciples in that greater sense of calling. But we are all disciples as Andrew and John became disciples on this day. They were already disciples of John the Baptist, which means they followed him. They learned from him. They now stepped over and became followers of Jesus Christ. When we accepted Christ as Savior, we became disciples. When we chose to depend on him for salvation, we understood or should have understood at least who he was and the fact that that demands discipleship. The Great Commission, when Jesus said, go ye therefore and do what? Make disciples of all nations. God's not interested only in decisions. He's interested in decisions that leads to discipleship. So being a disciple of Jesus Christ gives us purpose. He becomes our master. We follow him. He determines our path. He gives us our responsibilities. But every disciple's role is different. You see, the two disciples of John the Baptist that heard John say, Behold the Lamb of God, we have Andrew, and we have John. Now, John's not named, but that, that kind of goes along with the fact that John never refers to himself by name when he writes the Gospel of John. So he wrote that book. Andrew is named. And they were far different in personality. And, and they were far different in position within the twelve. You see, John had a brother by the name of James. James and John were fishermen, just like Peter and Andrew. They may have been partners. <clears throat> that passage in Matthew that I just read or referred to where Jesus called Peter and Andrew and said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. The very next thing you find in the book of James in that context, he goes and calls James and John. James and John were named or called by the nickname given them by Jesus that is recorded in Mark 3.17, which was Sons of Thunder. That wasn't necessarily a good nickname at that point. It means they were very volatile, Maybe confrontational, maybe even destructive in the way they dealt with other people. He called them sons of thunder. I mean, just a moment, we're going to see that he called Peter the rock, and Peter was largely just like the sons of thunder. But Andrew's far different. 
but he never got a nickname. <laughs> That's probably a good thing, right? His role was completely different. Peter, James, and John ended up being what? The inner circle. Not Pitt, not Andrew. Andrew's role would be different. Uh, he, he was a leader. Now, I, he was a disciple. He, he was a leader, obviously, but he was a lower level in the rank, at a lower level, in the top three. So our purpose, our ministry, our calling, well, that will, that will vary with the individual. Interesting, and we'll get to this more next week when we talk about Peter, that God takes those who need the most work and uses them in the greatest ways possible. But that doesn't mean that the ones who work in the shadow like Andrew are insignificant at all. It's just a different path. Fanny Crosby said this after being introduced to publisher William Bradbury, who gave her her start as a hymn writer. She said to him, I feel a hundred hymns in my head. The Lord has given me a purpose. That was her purpose. But let me remind you, Eunice, her grandmother, also had a purpose. And if it wasn't for her fulfilling her purpose, Fanny Crosby would have never fulfilled hers, possibly. God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Three steps in the process. Number one, we've got to remember, knowledge, that means relationship, discipleship, knowing the Lord gives us purpose. Number two, God provides us with opportunities to serve. If he has given us a purpose, and he has as his disciples, he's certainly going to give us opportunities to do what he wants us to do. Our opportunities are the people in our lives. You don't have to look far for an opportunity. Just look around. That's what Andrew does instinctively when we read in verse 40 of John 1. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Well, from the beginning, he stands in Peter's shadow. He's even identified here by John when he writes the gospel. Oh, well, this, well by the way, this is Peter's brother. And speaking of Andrew, he says this, he first found his brother Simon. That was Peter's given name. Remember, Jesus nicknamed him Peter. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which, means, which translated means Christ. We have found the Messiah, and he brought him to Jesus. There was Andrew's opportunity. Andrew saw it. John didn't really see it. Sons of Thunder didn't really see the opportunity in that light. You remember it was James and John and their mother who came to Jesus and they requested that, that James would sit on one hand and, and 
<laughs> and John on the other, one on the right and one on the left, would you come into your kingdom? A little ambitious, don't you think? They were all about being somebody, having a position, having authority, having notoriety, being prominent leaders. Andrew has no thought of that. He just grasps the opportunity at hand. And so he brings Peter, his brother, to Jesus. He obviously loved Peter, and he was excited about finding the Messiah, and he wanted Peter to know about it. He wanted Peter to, to know what he knew and accept Jesus as the Messiah, the Christ, as he did. So he brings Jesus, or he brings Peter to Jesus, and Jesus looked at Peter and said to him, You are Simon. That's his name. You are Simon, son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Cephas is the Aramaic transliteration. Peter, Petros, is the Greek, which means rock. And so he's nicknamed and forever known as Peter from that point on. Now, Peter was far, far from being a rock in the stabilizing sense of anything at this moment in his life. But Jesus looks beyond who we are at the moment and understands who we will be and can be as we grow. But that's next week's sermon. And I don't want to get off on that when we'd have two sermons in one week, right? Andrew simply looked around, saw Peter, the, the person that was closest to him, the person he worked with, the person that was his partner as a, in the fishing business, and he just brings him to Jesus, and he introduces him to Jesus. Interesting enough, it's Andrew who later on in the Gospel of John, we are told, brings a little boy with five loaves and two fishes to Jesus when Jesus said, how are we going to feed this massive multitude? And he introduces that little boy and his resources to Jesus. Interesting enough, again in the Gospel of John, in chapter 12, some Gentiles, some Greeks came wanting to know about Jesus, and they came to Philip. Philip's name in the Scripture is a Greek name, although he obviously was Jewish, but they lived in Bethsaida, which was very much dominated by the Romans at that time. So they came to Philip, and, and what does Philip do? He takes him to Andrew, and what does Andrew do? He takes him to Jesus. Andrew was about, and always was about, introducing other people to Jesus. Our opportunities given to us by God are the people in our lives. And we will fulfill our purpose when we point other people to Jesus Christ which is exactly what Andrew did. <clears throat> There's a, there was a Hall birthday card printed a number of years ago. It's no longer in print, no longer available. It's entitled, A Story About You. My wife still retains a copy and uses it from time to time. Imagine this is a birthday card sent to you. 
The verse on the card goes like this. Who in their life hasn't planted a peach pit? Just hoping that someone, or excuse me, just hoping that somehow a seedling would grow. And then they move to some other adventure, and if it comes up, well, they don't know. That's one way of picturing your style of living. You've planted ideas and dreams unaware. You've noticed somebody whose heart needs attention and planted a positive feeling there. It's part of your nature. You may not remember the kind and encouraging things that you've done, but everywhere, peach pits are growing like crazy and people are blooming. I know I'm one. Wow. That's, a, that's such wonderful sentiment. But it's biblical. It describes the work of Andrew. So God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. At least encompassing these three steps. Knowing the Lord gives us purpose. Then having purpose, God gives us opportunities to serve. And that brings us to the final step. God will use us to produce significant results. God will use us to produce significant results. Not that we should go around trying to count them all or worry about them. As many of the things we do in life will not even be known to us, like they were not known to Eunice. You see, way, way far, I mean, far more people Far more Christians will labor in the shadows like Eunice than will become someone who serves in a prominent role. Look at the 12. You have the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, and you have eight others. Now, there was more that was going on there than we realized, and I think Andrew was just outside that inner circle. I won't take the time to develop that, but he definitely was at a lower position or rank somehow in the, the hierarchy of their means of serving and accomplishing what they were doing. Even in the, in the 12, more serve in the shadows than have a prominent role. From the very beginning, as we've noticed, Peter overshadowed Andrew. You are Simon, said Jesus. Verse 42. You are Simon, son of John, and you shall be called Stephen. Well, what about, what about Andrew? What are you going to be called? What are you going to do, Andrew? Jesus didn't say a word. That doesn't mean that Andrew didn't do great things. But in a different way. Of the 12, again, Peter, James, and John were the prominent ones. They were the ones who were taken to the Mount of Transfiguration, Matthew 17. They were the ones that were called to come deeper into the Garden of Gethsemane and pray with him on the night of his arrest before the day of his crucifixion, 
Peter, James, and John, the inner circle ones. But Andrew did not have that role. Andrew is only mentioned a scant 12 times in the New Testament. Peter is mentioned 150 times or more. Andrew was not part of the inner circle. There's not one miracle recorded that Andrew did, but Peter raised people from the dead and other things. He didn't have the most prominent leadership role, even in the early church. He didn't write any inspired scripture. He did not have that prominent role, but he was used in extraordinary ways, if we can see it. Let's take a moment. Andrew's life did yield extraordinary results. Why? Well, he had some influence on the Apostle John, no doubt, that son of thunder that accompanied him that day to go and spend some time with Jesus. That, that was a tremendous influence, no doubt, on John. And John wrote what? The Gospel of John, 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the book of Revelation. He was prominent uh, as an elder in Ephesus and uh, well-known, highly influential. Andrew introduced his brother Peter. To Jesus. And Peter wrote two books of Scripture, first and second Peter. He was the one who stood up in Jerusalem and preached to the multitudes and saw thousands come on more than one occasion. It was Peter that was the foundational stone of the New Testament church, the apostles, prophets being the foundation as Paul writes in Ephesians 2.20. Andrew probably also had some influence on Philip's conversion. Look at verse 43 and following. This is, this is speaking of Jesus, first of all. The next day, Jesus, he, capital H, decided to go to Galilee. And he found Philip and said to him, follow me. And now notice what John inserts here. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Peter and Andrew. Why would he tell us that? Not 100% sure, but I suspect that Philip probably knew Peter and Andrew. Perhaps Andrew and others had communicated with him things being said by John the Baptist, maybe even Jesus. And then Philip goes on to find Nathaniel. Nathaniel. As we continue reading, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses wrote in the law, and the prophets also wrote, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. In, in a sense, Andrew had a part in everything Peter did, everything John did, maybe everything Philip did. I mean, so many things. Philip himself, historically, we know, went on to bring the gospel to Greece and Asia Minor and preached and won many peoples into the faith and eventually was crucified because he would not recognize Peter as God, or excuse me, would not recognize uh, Caesar as God. And when it came to his crucifixion, he did not want to be crucified on a cross like Jesus had, but instead he preferred an X and asked him to do that because it was different. He didn't want to 
or didn't want to seem to rise to the level. That was his humility. That's still called Andrew's cross, by the way. So God uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways. Knowing the Lord is the first step. That gives us purpose. Opportunities abound. God provides them. And then God will produce significant results like he did from the work of Eunice years later in the life of Fanny Crosby and like he did from Andrew whose influence spread out across so many lives. Y'all ever play dominoes? Anybody here play dominoes? Uh, some people actually, okay, well, I haven't played dominoes for, oh, since we lost my father-in-law who loved to play dominoes and time my wife and I would visit. In the evening, it wasn't TV, it was dominoes. Great game, by the way. Any of you youngsters uh, need to brush up on your math skills, start playing dominoes. But we're not talking about that game. We're talking about a more basic game this morning. We've all played since we were kids. This is the game most youngsters play with dominoes. You know, you set dominoes up in a nice little row. And that's not the fun. The fun is tipping it over and the first domino knocks over every other domino. Now I've only got six up here. That's us. We are the first domino of great significant things that God can do. And we're also the last domino of somebody else's line of dominoes. It's great the way God worked that out. But you see, it's not just one line of dominoes. Uh, you know, you can set things up where that last domino tips over more than one other row, right? So now I've got two in line, and then we've got two twos. And they all, well, they should. <laughs> Obviously, it's been a long time since I played with dominoes. But one becomes two, and two becomes four, and four becomes eight, and eight becomes 16, and 16 becomes 32, and 32 becomes 64, and 64 becomes 120, and on, on, and on, and on. And therein lies the significance of what God does with ordinary people. So I'm going to invite you this morning to be a domino, to be a part of the domino effect that we see in the life of Andrew. And to remind you of what I'm inviting you to do, there's a basket of dominoes out here somewhere near the entrance, maybe where the coffee is, maybe across. And there's a basket over here by the children, and then we have one right there on the table where the communion elements were. Thank you for reminding me of that. I forgot that one as I got down to it after I asked you all to make sure it was there. I invite you to pick up a domino out of one of those baskets that you leave and put it in your pocket. 
as a reminder. Carry it with you as a reminder. Or set it on your desk at work. Or set it in the kitchen where you prepare meals. Whatever you want to do with it. As a reminder. It's not about our prominence. It's about God's prominence. It's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do through us. Commit yourself to serve in whatever shadow or spotlight God puts you in. It doesn't matter. Serve where God puts you, and God will do extraordinary things. 